Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. It's awesome to be here. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Josh Turner. Uh, I pastor Celebration Church in Orlando. I got saved at Celebration Church. And so uh, I'm like your weird uncle that comes up for the holidays to say hello. And so uh, it's an honor to be here. But listen, before, before we get started, uh, one of the things that I always uh, feel like we need to do is, is always honor the father and mother of the house. And, and I want you to know, I was just talking about it with Pastor Drew backstage and, and, and Tarek. Um, there will never be a day that I will not want to serve under the leadership of Stovall Weems. And he is, he is, hold on, hold on, hold on. We're, gonna, we're, we're gonna do it in a second. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, wait for it. Um, you know, w- when you look at the landscape of ministries and you look at pastors and senior pastors, um, and, and the more that I, I kind of am in that world a little bit now, you realize that there are few men uh, like Stovall Weems, and there are few women like Carrie Weems. And, and, and I, the more that I pastor a church, the more thankful I am for my pastor. And, and it is an honor for all of us that we get to sit up under their leadership, their prayers, their teaching, and their pastoring, because Ireland, Zimbabwe, Orlando, Fort Lauderdale, Orange Park, Amelia Island, none of these would be happening if it weren't for a number of years ago, a husband and wife and a couple other couples, Pastor Chris and Ashley Brooks, being obedient and faithful to what it is that God spoke to them. And so, man, can we please honor our senior pastors, Pastor Stovall and Carrie Weems, and put our hands together? Because, hey, all... All of our spiritual walks are a lot healthier because of those two. Can I get an amen? Some of your crazy behinds would be in jail right now if it weren't for Celebration Church, me being one of them, okay? Um, And so uh, it's an honor to be here, man. I I love coming back here. I love coming back here now because when some of you see me, it's like I've been in Baghdad for the past two years. Like, you're like, oh my God. You're like, you see me, and I'm like, I'm in Orlando. Just come say hello. Um, and so it's an honor to be here. We are in week two of a series called At The Movies, and really this is an outreach series uh, for Celebration Church. And what I mean by that is this is a series where you can bring friends. Uh, this is a series where you have some fun stuff planned. You have Pastor Petey out there screaming on TV into a microphone, which he always does, and that's why we love him. And you have the band doing whatever, and... Kylo Ren and R2-D2 rolling around and dinosaurs and all this stuff. And so it's, it's a great series. And this morning, we're probably gonna look at one of my favorite movie franchises of all times. You know, some people say I look like Chris Pratt, except I'm bald, our faces are different, and I'm slightly fatter than him. But other than that, we're an exact match. Um, I, I love this movie. Uh, I, I, I don't know if you have those movies that you kind of put on in the background and while you're working or doing something. Like, this is one of those movies, so I, I've seen it a ton of times. The other movie I do that with is Tombstone, and I just want you to know that if I come back and do At The Movies next year, we're watching Tombstone. Um, and so uh, I, I, I particularly love this scene in this movie. Uh, the reason that I love the scene in this movie is because this is when really everything kind of starts unfolding. This is when you realize that there is more to this dinosaur than just its size. That they didn't just cook up some massive dinosaur in this lab, but they cooked up a dinosaur that is very smart. 
They, put, they, they cooked up a dinosaur that is able to scratch up the walls to, to lure people in. They cooked up a dinosaur that is able to, to cloak itself so it can't be tracked by heat signatures. And so in, one, in, in that ability, being able to deceive the people who are looking after it, they cooked up a very cunning and smart animal uh, dinosaur that is able to lure people in and distract them and deceive them. And the thing that we always have to remember is that's the same way our spiritual enemy works. Our spiritual enemy works a lot like the way this dinosaur does. That it's very cunning, that it's very smart, that it's very good at deceiving. Listen to what the Bible says about your spiritual enemy. It says this in 1 Peter 5, 8, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around, 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 around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You know, a couple years ago, I got to go to Kenya on a missions trip. We were in Kenya and did a, a safari in Kenya and Tanzania. And while we were there, we got to watch a lion stalk a pack of warthogs. Now, what was crazy about this is, A, you don't get to see this too often, but as we were sitting in the Jeep, one of the things that I immediately noticed about this animal is that the, the, the lion was camouflaged because of the way that it was covering itself in the grass. Not only was it camouflaged, but the way that it was going after the warthog is it was doing the very thing that the Bible talks to us about. It was prowling around it. It wasn't just looking in one direction. It wasn't just looking at one angle, but the lion was literally prowling around, going around, working its way around, looking for the weakness of the animal so that it could attack it. I want you to know it's amazing that the Bible relates a lion in the way that a lion hunts to our spiritual enemy. And your spiritual enemy, the devil, is prowling around looking for your weaknesses. He's looking for the way to take you down and he's not gonna come at you just full force. He's not gonna just come at you like with some blatant thing because he knows you're too smart for that. So the way that the devil works and the way that things trip us up is they are, they are chinks in our armor, so to speak, that take us down. So then how is it that we do not come prey to the animal? How do we not become prey to our spiritual enemy? And let me just say, as we're, as we're talking about our spiritual enemy, I think it's important that we understand that God and the devil are not on equal playing fields. You know what I'm saying? Like God is God and the devil is somewhere down here. Like they're not on equal playing field. So we always need to remember that. And we always need to get that right. But there are tactics that the enemy uses to trip us up. So what are the tactics used? How do you and I not fall prey to those tactics? I feel like we have to know what some of them are. I feel like for us not to fall prey to something, you have to understand how your enemy works. Think about it in sports. Last night, the God-fearing Florida State Seminoles beat the godless Florida Gators. Okay, listen, I'm, I'm trying to tell Gator fans for years, if y'all just prayed like the Seminole players do, that's a lie, I can't even say it. I went to Florida State and half of our players went to jail. So like, it's, we all like, you know what I'm saying? It's a joke, relax. I ain't listening to anything he say anymore. Like whatever, it's cool. So, so think about this, it, legitimately the Florida, Florida State game. How many of you know that Florida and Florida State both studied the other opponent's game footage? They studied the strategies. Now, what we can also tell is that Florida State studied them a little bit more. You know, okay, I'm done. Um, that Florida State, they, they studied the strategies. If you follow baseball, one of the things that, that great hitters will do is they will study game footage of the pitcher that they're going against. If you're in war, generals study the strategies of the other general or the other war that they're going against. 
hunky Chris Pratt in that video understood that one of the tactics of the dinosaur was to smell him. That's why he cuts the gas line and puts the gas line on him, the gas line to mask his sin. He understands the tactic of his enemies. And if you and I are going to resist the devil, if you and I are not gonna come become prey, if you and I are not gonna fall prey, if you and I are going to be able to stand up against the devil, then one of the things I believe that we have to understand are how are some of the ways that the enemy works. Because what you have to always remember is that the devil hates you. He doesn't just kind of dislike you. He doesn't want you just to have a bad day or show up late to work. He literally hates you because you were made in the image of God. And not only are you made in the image of God, but you have a call and a purpose and a plan on your life. And what the enemy knows is that if you step into what it is that God has called you, planned you, and purposed you to be, then there is nothing he can do to stop you. So what he wants to do is he wants to try to distract you and deceive you and trip you up so that you do not become the man or woman that God has called you to be. You have to understand that there are tactics there are tactics that the enemy uses. And so today, what I wanna do super simply is I wanna give you five tactics of the enemy. And I want you to write them down. The Air Force Academy did a study that 75% of every, is 95% of everything you do not write down, you forget in, within 72 hours. 95% of everything you do not write down, you forget in 72 hours. So here at Celebration Church, we don't want you just to be hearers of the word of God, we want you to be doers of the word of God. And sometimes when a pastor is preaching to you, there's gonna be something the Holy Spirit speaks to you. And I hope that we all know this, but anytime anybody is on this stage preaching, whether it's Pastor Stovall, myself, Pastor Keith, Pastor Jason, Pastor John Wyatt, whoever it is, it is not us who is coming up with this. It is the Holy Spirit who is speaking through us. So do not take the words that the Holy Spirit uh, gives you and speaks to you and attribute them to a broken man because what it is, it is the Holy Spirit speaking directly to your heart and sometimes you need to write it down because there's gonna be a day when the devil wants to steal it from you and you're gonna have to remind the devil of what it is the Lord has spoken to you. Amen. Take notes. So I wanna give you the five, the five tactics of the enemy. If you're taking notes, uh, the first one is this. The enemy wants to get you doubting. He wants to get you doubting. And we see this in Genesis three, verses one through six. Listen to this, it says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course, he may, he, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it or you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. Let me just pause right here and point out something that has nothing to do with my point. <laughs> if God gives you a word that you can do anything, just don't eat from this tree. Don't hang around the tree so you can look at it. See, a lot of us, what we wanna do is God, we, you know where your temptation is. All of us in here, we know the things that tempt us. Get away from them. Run, don't, don't, don't toy with temptation. Don't play with temptation. One of the things that my wife, when we moved to Orlando, one of the things that my wife, uh, when we moved to Orlando, we, we signed up for DirecTV. Some of you have probably heard me tell this story. And DirecTV gave us all the channels for free. So I'm flipping through the channels late one night and, and you come up on like the Playboy channels. 
and the Hustler channels. And I realize that we have all of these channels. Now, there's a part of me that wanted to click on it. I love Jesus, but I'm also a dude, okay? I'm just gonna be honest with you. Can we be real? Like when you get saved, it's not like you're not like human anymore. I just float around. Um, so here's what I did. So I, I take the remote and I go, nope. I put it down and I go to bed. I'm like, wake up girl. No, I just put it down and, and so, y'all are dirty, I didn't mean it that way. Y'all need to do something different here. I don't know what's happened since I've been gone. I'm holding Pastor Jason accountable. Um, heathens. Um, so the next morning we woke up and I, I told Becca, I said, hey, they, they gave us all these channels. She goes, yeah, there's some free promotion. I said, I need you to call them and get them out of this house. And she goes, why, are you gonna look at them one time? I go, yes, I need you to get them out of the house. If, the, if you know your temptation, stay away from it. Don't mess with it, don't be like God telling Eve, hey, you can eat anything in the garden but that one tree and Eve just does this and just stays there. All right. So, he took some, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. The number one scheme that you see here is that the enemy gets Eve doubting, but just not any doubting. He gets her doubting God's goodness. Look again at what he says. He says, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open and as soon as you eat it, you will be like God knowing both good and evil. He convinced Eve that God was keeping something from her. Eve, God's not that good to you. Eve, you know why he doesn't want you to eat that fruit? Because what God knows, Eve, is that if you eat that fruit, you'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. Eve, God's not that good. He's trying to keep something from you. Think about how many people have no relationship with Jesus Christ because what they think is that God is trying to keep something good from them. They are doubting God's goodness. Like, let, let's just take sex, for instance. We, we have a lot of young people in here. Our church in Orlando is very young. And so one of the arguments that I hear all the time with people is, well, God doesn't want us to have sex because he's trying to keep it from us. No, that's not true. The reason that God doesn't want you to have sex before marriage is because he understands that it's more than just a physical act and that there is something that attaches to that person and you can never get that part of you back. So the only things that God ever tries to keep from us are not things that would help us enjoy life more, but they are things that God protects us from. And sometimes proof of God's love for you, sometimes proof of God's love for you is the fact that he said no to your prayer. For instance, did you ever, did you ever have a, girl, a girlfriend in high school, boyfriend in high school that you loved, college, they were the one and you would go to sleep at night, Lord, if you would just let me marry, fill in the blank. Lord, I will serve you the rest of my days, Lord. Every time I look into her eyes, I see the faces of our unborn children, Jesus. <laughs> 20 years later, you run into that person. Lord, I wanna thank you that you did not answer my prayer. She's like at Walmart buying a spare tire and underwear. You're like, you can't buy a spare tire and underwear in the same place. <laughs> Do not doubt God's goodness. The second tactic of the enemy is this. 
He gets you separated. He gets you separated. If you ever watch National Geographic, one of the things that you'll notice is when in, in a pack of predators are hunting a herd of animals, they have one thing that they do. They separate an animal off. And as they separate an animal off, that animal is more, more vulnerable and they attack that animal. Do not separate yourself. Do not believe the lie. I, I, we had this, um, this young lady at our church in Orlando that, that said that she felt like God was calling her away from the church for a season to focus on him by herself. So what I said to her, because I'm very loving and compassionate, I said, cool, so Jesus came to establish his church and sent the disciples out two by two, but he's calling you to go it alone. Don't ever believe that lie. Jesus Christ is never going to call you to separate yourself. There is safety in the herd. And when, God, when Jesus came to establish his church, I think it's always important for us to remember, the church isn't this building. The church is you guys. It's the community of you guys. That's why community groups are a huge deal at Celebration Church. Because what we know is that if you can get seven or eight good friends that you are in community with, your life is going to be better and it's gonna be easier for you to follow Jesus. You know why? You, they've got a growth track step four today. To, you can go and be a volunteer. You know why we want you to do that? Not because we need another greeter. All of you in here were greeted 37 times before you got to your seat. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. I'm how are you? Fine. How are you? Good. Like, we're the same way in Orlando. You know why we want you to be a part of a serving team? Because you instantly are plugged into community. Because you instantly meet people. And that when you go through a hard time and a hardship comes your way, you're not trying to figure it out by yourself, but you have some other people that you can lean on besides the pastors of this church. You have some people in your world that you can grow with and learn with. And listen, the devil wants to deceive you. And the whole thing about deception is you don't know you're being deceived. That's why you need to be in community with other believers and not separate yourself because you need a brother or a sister in Christ when you start believing something foolish, which all of us do from time to time, that can say, hey, I don't necessarily think that's God. I think that's just your crazy behind and I love you in the name of Jesus. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, and help you walk some stuff out. Listen to what the scripture says. It says this in Ecclesiastes 4.12. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. You need to make sure that you are in some community. Some of you at the end of the service, you need to immediately get out of your seat and walk to the God First Life Room, and you need to go through step four not because you need to be an usher or a greeter, but because you need some friends. And when I say friends, I mean Christian friends. All of us have those people in our lives that weren't the greatest influences. Sometimes in your walk with God, the next step for you isn't anything that is super spiritual, but just surrounding yourself with the right people. I've already told my family and our church, if my son starts hanging out with the wrong people, we will move to Alaska and live in an igloo and he will interact with no human being except for baby seals. That is it. 
because it is who you surround yourself with. And the enemy wants to separate you from anybody that can be a positive influence on you and you need to not buy into that and you need to fight to stay in the herd because there is safety in the herd. Number three is this. The enemy wants to get you twisted. He wants to get you twisted. Now when I say twisted, I mean twisted in scripture. See, we live in a world where what we want to believe about truth is that there is no absolute truth anymore. People wanna say that truth is relative or subjective. What relative means, it is relevant, it is relative to the city that you live in. So truth is different in Jacksonville than it is in Orlando. Or it's different in Florida than it is in South Carolina. Or it's different in South Carolina than it is in New York and California. So truth is relative. It's also relative to the time that you live, the culture that you live in. Or truth is subjective to the hearer. So because I am the hearer, I am the one that gets to say what truth is because it is subject to me. The problem with that is, is when truth becomes relative or subjective, it is no longer truth because truth is not evolving or changing. Truth is truth. And so what you see is that's why we live in a world right now that are saying things that were once considered sins are no longer sins. That's why we live in a world where people are making exceptions and taking the word of God and twisting it to make it say what they want it to say instead of what it really says. And you actually see that this is a tactic of the enemy. This is something that he does. In Matthew 4, you see that Jesus is led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. While he is there being tempted, fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, at his weakest moment, the devil shows up. It takes him to, the devil takes him to the highest point in Jerusalem, which is the top of the temple. As he is there, there are people below. This is what the devil says to Jesus. He says this in Matthew 4, 6. If you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you. And he will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. See, what a lot of us don't know is what the devil is actually doing is he is quoting Psalm 91, 11 through 12. He is quoting scripture to Jesus. Jesus, this is what the word of God says. But Jesus knows that what the devil's doing is twisting it. He's making it say something it doesn't. He's manipulating the scriptures to make them say what he wants them to say. You cannot manipulate scriptures to make them say what you want them to say. Thomas Jefferson, who was one of the presidents, there's actually a, a famous thing called the Jefferson Bible. And Thomas Jefferson did not like the way that the Bible read, so he took an X-Acto knife and some glue, and he cut out all the scriptures that he liked, and he made a new book with them, omitting all the scriptures that he didn't like. Thomas Jefferson wanted to read the Bible a certain way, the way that he wanted it to read. We don't get to read the Bible the way that we want it to read. We get to read the Bible the way that it was written. And so there are three, I wanna give you three ways, I want you to write these down, three ways that you're supposed to read the Bible three ways that you're supposed to read the Bible and you are supposed to read them in this order. The first one is the historical context. Historical context. Who is it originally written to? So when you read Timothy, you have to understand that this is a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. And there are certain things that Paul is speaking to Timothy about that only apply to that historical moment. So that you also have to understand, and this may be a little bit deeper, the, the literary content. You have to understand the way that the Bible is written literally. So, so my son, who is 13 years old, God help me, um, he, he has preached three or four times at Celebration Church to the youth, which is absolutely unbelievable. The first time he came to me, he's like, Dad, 
will you help me write my sermon? I was like, Daddy's so proud of you, you know? And he's like, I'll go to mom. And I'm like, come here, let me hold you. Um, and so that's my stage of my son's life. I just embarrass him in public now. We do this thing called bodyguarding that I do to him. Uh, for all you dads out there that have a young son, once again, has nothing to do with my sermon. Um, you remember the movie Bodyguard uh, with Whitney Houston and Kevin Costner? We'll just be standing in public. This is what I do to my son. If you guys wanna help me pay for the counseling bills afterwards, it would be much appreciated. And I'll just scoop him up like Kevin Costner scooped up Whitney Houston, and I'll just in public and go, and uh, like, and just start walking with him. It's terrifying to him. He lives in a constant state of nervousness. And so he, he asked me, Dad, would you help me write my sermon? And I said, he goes, Dad, I wanna use this scripture. I said, okay, what does that scripture say? He reads it to me. I said, no, what does it really say? He goes, well, how do I know that? I said, you need to read the scripture above it and the scripture after it. So he reads the scripture above it and the scripture after it. He says, I still don't understand. I said, okay, son. I said, you need to read the paragraph above it and the paragraph after it. There is a way that the Bible is written and you have to make sure that when you are using a scripture to illustrate something, that you are using that scripture to illustrate the correct point. You cannot take it out and make it say something that you don't want it to say. The other side of the literary content is you have to understand the different writings of the Gospels. And this may be a little bit deeper, but Psalms is a book of poetry, the, the Old Testament is a book of history, and the New Testament is a count of the Gospels and the letters. So you read all of them a little bit different, differently, history, poetry, and then letters. And so you have to understand that there's a literary content of what the Gospel says, and then there's the third one, which is the contextual content. The contextual content. What does it mean for us today? So when you read scripture, you first read it historically. The second thing is literally, the literary content. How is it written? Am I using it the right way? Am I taking something out of context to make it say something I want? And then, man, what does this mean for me today? Here's the important thing to remember. The contextual content can never mean, not mean what it did not mean historically. So the contextual content must be the same as its historical content. Does that make sense? And so you have to know, guys, listen, and I know that's a little bit deep, and I know that's a little bit deeper than, than we tend to go at times on a Sunday, but you have to understand that there is a correct way that you have to understand scripture, and our spiritual enemy knows the Bible better than we do, and he is going to twist scripture to, I cannot tell you how many conversations I have had with people since we have started the church in Orlando, having to defend biblical doctrines and almost 100% of the time, it is somebody who is taking a scripture and a story and making it say what they want it to say instead of what the Bible is really saying in that moment. You have got to know the word of God and do not let the devil get you twisted in scripture, amen? The fourth thing, the fourth thing that the devil wants to do is he wants to get you idolizing. He wants to get you idolizing. It says this in Leviticus 19.4, do not put your trust in idols or make metal images of gods for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. Now I don't think anybody is gonna go home and make a metal image of a God to worship today. If so, you need to come and immediately meet with Pastor Keith Pittman and Jason Boland directly after the service uh, because they got some deeper things they need to work out with you. But here's the reality. All of us have idols. John Calvin said that the human heart is a factory for idols. Some of the idols that you have are your family. Some of the idols that you have are your spouse. 
For some of you, the idol that you have is your body. Now, these aren't sinful things. You should care about your health. You should care about your family. You should care about your spouse. You should care about your job. But when you take them and put them in the place that is reserved for God, it becomes an idol. It becomes something that you have placed over God. And listen, God cannot be number two. God is first in the universe. If you go back and read the story of Cain and Abel, the reason that God could not accept Cain's offering is because when Cain brought his offering to God, it says, and in the process of time, Cain brought an offering to God, illustrating that Cain did not bring the first fruits to God, he just brought an offering to God. So God could not accept Cain's offering because God cannot be number two. theological term for that is the preeminence of God. God is number one. God is massive in the universe. God is number one on this planet. He is the alpha. He is the mega. God cannot be number two. So when you take something that should be two, three, or four on the list and elevate it to number one, you have an idol in your life. You have something that you have placed in the position of God. Let's just take money, for instance. This is what it says. Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, there will not be room enough to store it. So what you see is you see God says, bring the whole tithe in the storehouse. You see that God says, bring in the first fruits. Now, if you look at scripture, the first fruits is a principle that runs all the way from Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation. And when people talk about money in church and they talk about tithing in church and they talk about first fruits in church, there's people that say, well, we don't have to tithe anymore because that is an Old Testament law. Well, you have to understand that there's a first fruits principles that actually predates the law 2,500 years. And so God wanting to be first is something that predates the law 2,500 years. So when there are so many scriptures, And there are so, and Jesus talks about money more than anything else. And there are so many people that do not tithe and do not put God first in their finance. Why is that? Because they have an idol. There's an idol. And we've got to get good, guys, at deconstructing the idols in our life. We've got to get good at breaking them down. And and here's the thing. We will battle this for the rest of our lives. Following Jesus, there's a term called progressive sanctification, that as you are walking with Jesus, you become more holy and you become more sanctified, meaning that there are always, the closer you get to God, the more that you're gonna realize the things inside of you that you need to give to God. So if you, let's say you overcome uh, uh, the idol of, of money and you start tithing and you start putting God first, well, there'll be another idol that comes up. I'll tell you for me right now, the idol that is the hardest for me to defeat is my job. I will make it about about my job in a heartbeat. It is hard, and so I have to make sure that I'm always deconstructing the idols in my life because God wants to be number one in your life. God is number one in the universe. He will always be number one. And where you place him in your life does not change his position in the universe. So what I would do is make sure that where you align God in your life is also the same place that he is aligned in the universe, and that's number one. God wants to, the devil wants to get you twisted with idolizing, don't do it, that's a tactic. The fifth and final one is this. The devil wants to get you prideful. He wants to get you prideful. He wants you to believe that you have what it takes, that you don't need Jesus, 
that you're tough enough, that you're strong enough. I talk to friends of mine and they're like, well, man, I don't need Jesus. Uh, That's weak. It is weak. I need Jesus because we were created that way. We were not created to be able to handle it all on our own. We were not created to be able to do it all by ourselves. We were created to be in a relationship with the one that can handle it all. We were created to be in the relationship with the God of the universe. And so what the devil wants you to believe is don't, you don't need God, you can do it. You're strong enough, you're tough enough. Proverbs 11:2 says that pride comes before destruction. People start believing in their own hype. One of my, one of my favorite pastors is Charles Swindoll. Charles Swindoll says, don't read your clippings whether they're good or bad. Don't believe it, don't believe what people say. Fight for your humility. So if these are the tactics of the enemy, how do we overcome them? Well, I believe the Bible gives us an answer and it's James 4, 7. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Humble yourself. You know what humility looks like before God? A, for some of you in here, it's the moment where you get saved, where you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the only son of God, dead, buried, resurrected, and and he saved you and you can't save yourself. That takes humility. For some of you in here that are already saved, it looks like repentance. We have to understand that when we come into the presence of God and ask God to forgive us of our sins, what it does is it reminds us of where God is and where we are. It takes humility to do that. When you ask God to help you, when you pray and spend time with him, it takes humility to do that. And the second part says, flee from the devil. Flee, run. What would this world look like if Eve had fleed from the devil? How would, how would all of our lives look? And listen, we're, we're not always great at this, right? But what would it look like to flee? For the next time that you're tempted, that you're like, "Mm -mm, I'm out of here, and you run. And the promise of God, not the promise of Josh Turner, not the promise of Stovall Weems, of Keith Pittman, of Jason Bolin, of Chris Brooks, of John Wyatt, the promise of God is the devil will flee from you. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And for some of you, this starts with committing or recommitting your life to Jesus. I got saved at Celebration Church. I'm that dude that got saved on a Sunday hungover from Saturday. I I remember it. And I pray that the Lord never lets me forget where he brought me from, ever. You wanna stay humble? Remember who you were before you were saved. And 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 I pray that God never lets me forget that. And for some of you, this is, listen, this is your moment. You you humble yourself in this moment, realizing that the Lord saved you. The Bible says that all have sinned and all have fallen short of God's glory. What that means is all of us need a savior. There is not one of us in this room that is able to save yourself. You can't do it. It is a free gift so that no man would boast. It is a free gift that God gave us salvation. But it takes a humble heart to raise a hand and say, I need Jesus, and confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Humility, God saved you. The Bible says that there is one way to the Father and that is through the Son. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. There are a lot of good theories out there and they are theories. Jesus Christ is the way. 
The reason that we are able to resist the devil isn't because of your own power. It is because of the spirit of God that is residing inside of you. It is because of the power of Christ that is residing in you that when the devil tempts you, you're able to be like, no, not today. Not because you have it all figured out, but because you are fighting a battle that has already been won by what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That's where you get your power. And then John 10, 10. Jesus came to give us a life and a life more abundant. And I can tell you that an abundant life does not live in your life being tripped up by the tactics of the enemy. There is a plan that God has for you. There is hope that God has for you. There is peace that God has for you. And it always starts with Jesus, always. So if you're in this place this morning, what I'm asking you to do is just close your eyes and bow your heads with me. And we wanna give you a chance in this moment to commit or recommit your life to Christ. You know who you are. I remember that moment when I raised my hand and how nervous I was. Do not let your nerves keep you from taking a step that you know that God is calling you to. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you need to commit or recommit your life to Christ, I'm gonna count to three and I just want you to raise a hand. If you need to commit, or recommit your life to Christ. I'm gonna count to three, amen, amen, amen. I'm gonna count to three, and I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three, raise them. There are, there are lots of, amen, 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 amen. Come on, church, amen, 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 amen. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna lead all of us in a prayer, but let's go ahead and stand to our feet in this moment. And I'm gonna lead us in a prayer and then we're gonna go back into a song of worship. And here's what I ask. I ask that you take a moment before you rush out of here and allow God to seal in your heart what it is that he has spoke to you this morning. So God, we thank you so much for every person that received your son, Jesus Christ, as their savior. God, knowing that it is you who saves. Everyone just repeat this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. Jesus, I confess with my mouth, I believe in my heart that you are the Son of God. Jesus, help protect me from the schemes of the enemy. And I pray all of these things in your holy name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.